You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, we believe that the Bible is 100%. The Word of God is it's authoritative. I say this just about every Sunday, that uh, we at Meadowbrook uh, believe that, that, the, that the Bible is the Word of God and that the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence is the same voice that you can hear through every word on the pages of, of Holy Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we stand to honor the reading of God's Word. I really believe I have nothing better to offer you than what's in this book. And, uh, and that's why you sit when I preach. <laughs> Plus it would get tiring if you had to stand uh, while I preach, right? So we are now turning our attention to, uh, again, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the sermon series that we're, that we're in. We're just doing a deep dive into the sermon, and we're turning our attention now to uh, verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. The words will be on the screen. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible underneath just about every chair here. Take that home with you. That's our gift to you. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we, we, our life group that I, that our, you know, we kind of share different homes. We alternate, and and I get to lead the and facilitate the discussion in that life group. They're also my my guinea pigs when it comes to Sunday morning, right? So I get to they they get to hear what's coming, uh, not everything of what's coming, but but as we were we were so we obviously we've been every time we meet we meet every other Friday we we talk about the Sermon on the Mount right now anyway and and what came out of that was an interesting discussion and and it just dawned on me that as we read and as we study the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what I want to say to you. Some of you may be feeling and thinking, man, I, I, I have so much work to do. Some of you may be thinking and feeling, I mean, does God really love me based on my, my past and, and just what, I, what I'm doing with my life right now? And when I, as we talked about some of those things in our, in our life group, because I recognize there are a number of, of you in our church family who have experienced a divorce. I recognize there are a number of you that, that you know, have struggled with various forms of addiction. Some of you, perhaps pornography addiction. And this is what I want you to hear before I even get into the scriptures. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about Jesus. I, he, he made that statement 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the whole point that he was making by that is this, look, you, you can't. You can't be perfect. You need a righteousness that is outside of yourself. You need the perfect righteousness that only I could provide. That's, that's the point. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is not only that this is what it looks like to be a Christian, but the point is Jesus is everything. He is everything. And, and, and there was nothing in us that warranted him to die in our place. There's nothing righteous about us. There's nothing that, that, that makes us so valuable that he was obligated to, to die on a cross and rise on the third day in place of our sins and for our sins. There, there's nothing there. He, he did that all voluntarily. There, there's nothing that we bring to the cross of Jesus Christ except for empty hands. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. A heart that grieves over our sin. That's what it means to, to mourn. And, and, and a desire to submit ourselves to the will uh, 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 of the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. That's what it means to be meek. And so I just want to say that at the very beginning. It's not in my notes. I just want you to hear that because some of you just need to hear that before we dive right into this passage. Uh, one of the, well, I think, this section, this paragraph and the Sermon on the Mount is a great example of why expository preaching is so important in the church. Because this is, the least comfortable passage that I would like to preach on on a Sunday, on lust. And next week's not even, it's not better. Divorce. And you know, some of you are like, I'm not coming next week. Um, and, and there's a, the other subject, which he kind of uh, addresses a little bit, is money. That's the other one that's uncomfortable for pastors, and especially myself, to, to address. And here's my other encouragement to you. If you would just prayerfully listen to the Word of God and the sermon, I really believe that you will, you will find help and you will be encouraged. So come back next week, especially those of you who have been divorced and like, I don't want to come to that sermon. Come. I, pr I promise you, uh, you will leave encouraged and helped as a result. So... All right, so that's, that's that. Uh, so Matthew chapter 5, you know, beginning with verse 27, Jesus makes this statement. You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. You've heard the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery, King James Version. You've heard it. And he, he said, but I say to you, Anyone who looks at another person with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart already. Now, here, here's what's going on. Most people in Jesus' day and age were married by the age of 20. So if you're wondering, well, why did he just single out adultery? Well, because most of the people that were listening to him were people who were married. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, no doubt were, were married. And here's what was going on, most likely, with them. I have not been unfaithful physically with my, you know, with my wife. I have not slept with another woman. Therefore, I, therefore I'm, I, I've obeyed the seventh commandment. That's one other commandment that I can put a check next to that I've got nailed down. 
And, and Jesus turns that whole philosophy on its head and he says, but if you committed adultery in your, or if you lusted after another wo- woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And, and the response to that is, well, isn't that a bit harsh? Don't, don't most people you know, struggle with lust on some level or have struggled with lust on some level? Yes, that's the point. Just like don't most people get angry at other people for unjustifiable reasons? That was last week's sermon, right? Well, yes, that's the point. There is, there's something with our hearts that is very wrong. And there's a soil in, in, in our hearts. It's just fertile ground for murder and for adultery. And so Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said. And so this is what I, this is what I think he's doing. This is what I believe he's doing with, with this statement. I believe first that he is treating sex as something that is sacred instead of something that is common. It's sacred. Our culture treats it as common and unsacred. It says, have, have at it. Jesus treats it as sacred. So that's the first thing. Jesus, by the way, for those of you who are single, Jesus, as a single guy, is treating sex as something as sacred. Uh, secondly, Jesus is treating sex as a gift instead as the giver. And what I mean by that is, our culture treats sex as a type of God or an idol. Jesus said it's a gift, and that's the place that it needs to stay in. It is a gift, and it is nothing more. And we have a tendency to, to take the gift, and we, we make it into the giver. The, you know, we make it into a God, an idol. And so he does those two things. And so I'm just going to unpack that. And the first point is this, is that sex is sacred. And so there's a little overlap with, uh, with next week's sermon on divorce, but, but he, he's basically saying here, sex is, is sacred. Um, it, it's not common. And, and, and to treat it as common is to pervert it. You know, like, here's what I think probably was going on with the Pharisees and the scribes. There was this very popular idea that was embraced by many of the Pharisees and many of the scribes. And that was, I could, rewrite, I could write a certificate of divorce for any reason under the sun for the most part. And so I could divorce my wife for any reason. I mean, you, you, had, you had religious leaders who, who believed that they could divorce their wife for even making a bad meal. And, and so they had, they had treated marriage as common, which that's next week. Uh, and, and, and so they, they thought, well, just so you know, while I'm married, I will not ha- be unfaithful to my wife. And then if I find any reason to divorce her, I can just find another woman. You see what's going on? And so Jesus says, even if you looked at a woman with lustful intent, you, you see the lady down the road, Mr. Pharisee, and you're thinking in your heart right now, I, I'm going to write a certificate for my, of divorce for my wife because that woman down the road, she looks better. I, I think she'd be a better wife. Uh, my, my current wife's just falling short. And Jesus said, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And that was a shocking thing for them to hear. And what was going on, the underlining thing that was going on here is that they had not only 
treated sex as common, but they were treating their marriage covenant as something that was common and not sacred. You know, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, he said to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, words are on the screen, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then chapter 2, which, uh, can you bring the next slide up? Chapter 2 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, <laughs> get out of the basement, stop playing video games, right? And hold fast to his wife, cling to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were what? Not ashamed. Not ashamed. That's, that's actually really important to note in the passage. That's intentional. Like, the, uh, you know, Moses, when he was just putting this down on, you know, for us to, to see and to read, uh, the, it, this is intentional. The, the, in the context of marriage, Sex is to be experienced in a way where there's no shame. When I meet with couples who are struggling with, with sin or couples that have been living together or whatever, I just I ask them, so tell me, like, when you're sleeping together, do you feel shame? Especially if they're Christians. And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, you know what that is? What? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying? What, what is he saying? Stop it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Um, in the context of marriage, we're, we're, it's designed to be to where the husband and the wife are naked and unashamed. Once sin entered into the world, there was shame. Adam and Eve, after they rebelled against God, they went and they hid themselves after they, and they, they took fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And what the Pharisees and the scribes got right theologically was that, well, God, God sanctioned marriage, that the institution of marriage is something that, that God sanctioned. And, and within the institution of marriage, uh, sex is a gift. And, and so they got that right, but they treated marriage with just very little regard. And, and, and so when Jesus said to them, if you look at a person with lustful intent, you're guilty of adultery. And, and the shocking thing about that is that, that there, there's, in the, in the law, in the Old Testament law, the, the punishment for adultery was capital punishment. It was death. And there was a whole list. It's in my manuscript. You can, you, 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 the verse references will be in my manuscript when, you, when it's posted on our website. But there's, there's a whole list of sexual sins that are punishable by death. God takes sexual sin very seriously. It's not common with him. He treats it very seriously. I think part of the reason for that is that within the context of marriage, when a husband and wife are, you know, are allowed to enjoy sex between one another, it, it, that intimacy, that is physical, spiritual, emotional, that that is something that is... Uh, that is a, 
it's a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. Like marriage is, is held in such high regard by God and he expects his people to hold it in high regard and to violate any part of it uh, is considered very, very serious. And so Jesus says, if you, if you lost that, if they're another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you're not married, you're not off the hook, by the way. The point is sexual sin. If you lust after a person, even though you're not married, then you're guilty of fornication, you know, sex before marriage or outside of marriage. And Jesus says later in Mark chapter 7, the words will be on the screen, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, that's every sexual sin outside of marriage, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. So, I mean, Jesus himself, not, Pat, not Keith, but Jesus says that such acts defile a person and they are evil. Well, is that harsh? But Within marriage is this covenant. And what consummates that covenant is, is sex. And, and it is emotionally binding, it is spiritually binding, it is physically binding. It's a covenant. It's not, it's not an agreement, per se, just an agreement. It's not... It's not about just your feelings. It's not about, uh, it's, it's not about you know, how much time you're going to spend together. It, it's a covenant. You are entering into a covenant with one another. It, it's much deeper than all of those things. It, it's, here's what a covenant is not. A covenant is not consumeristic. A covenant is not, when am I getting out of the deal? Tim Keller describes a covenant, a marriage covenant, this way. He says this, A covenant relationship says, I will adjust to you because I've made a promise and the relationship is more important than my needs. My needs are less important in the sustenance of the relationship. You hear, you hear the difference? Now our world has that all upside down, right? Marriage is about my needs. <laughs> Let's, we, we, we need to sign a, a, a prenup, make sure I'm okay if this thing ends, which it might end. <laughs> uh, that's not what a covenant is. You are, here, here's what a covenant is. When you enter into marriage, you are promising to one another, I'm going to die to myself uh, for, for you. And I'm covenanting that, I am promising that I will do that before you and before God. And here's what, here, here's the point, ready? When you lust after another person, do you know what you do to that person? You demean them. You bring their value down. You take somebody who bears the image of the living God and you make them into an object. 
and we, we just don't do it with people we lust after. You do it, you, we can fall into that trap in marriage too. You can treat your spouse as an object. And, and this is why it's so serious. Re, remember last week, for those of you who were here last week, when you, when, when you lash out at somebody in an unrighteous kind of, with an unrighteous kind of anger, what do you do to that person? You bring their, you demean them, you bring them low. When you, when, when you, you know, demean their, their, their mind, when you demean their, their, their being, their, 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 their character, who, who they are, when you bring them, what you do is you bring this image-bearing human being down from what they've been created to, to be. And God says that's evil. And we do the same thing with lust. We bring that person's value down. And that's what our culture does. And you look around, has it brought life to our culture? No. It brings death. Anytime you pervert the good things that God gives to, to human beings, it, 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 and you pervert that, it results in death. It doesn't result in life. So which leads me to the second point. This is the, the, the only other point that I have is the gift is not the giver. The gift is not the giver. Um, all of the Bible treats sex as a gift from God to be enjoyed within the context of m marriage between a man and a woman. But what our culture does is it elevates sex as, a, as an idol. And what do we do? Like Tim Keller said this, um, our hearts are a, an idol factory. You know what he was trying to say there? He was saying... What that means is that we have this propensity to take good things and make them into ultimate things. Most idols that people worship are not, is not some golden calf or some big giant pagoda in Far East Asia. Uh, most idols that people worship are good things that they've made ultimate things in their lives. And in our culture, it's sex. And so, so here's how you know that you've made it into an ultimate thing. When you, uh, when you believe that your identity flows out of your sexual orientation or your, or your sexuality, that's when you've made it an ultimate thing. That's when you've taken it from gift to idol. Or when we treat it as such out, outside of the boundaries that God has prescribed for us. That's when we take it from being a gift to being an idol. And this is something for the church to hear. It's not just our culture, it's also the church. The church has become guilty of this. Here, here, I'll give you an example. I've been in the church long enough to know, like capital C Church, to know that in evangelical circles, we might rightly point out that homosexuality is a sin or any form of sex you know, outside of marriage between a man and a woman is a sin. But you know what we've idolized? Heterosexuality. That is a good, it's, it, you know, if you're single, you're, you're, you're kind of down here until you enter into a heterosexual marriage as a Christian, and we've elevated heterosexual sex also as an idol in the church. We have. Like if I were a single person, 
entering into pastoral, wanting to feel caught in, this, in the pastoral ministry, most churches would not hire me. But I'm, I'm married, <laughs> right? But if I were single, most churches wouldn't hire me. Why? It's a very good question. Like that would, uh, that would exempt the Apostle Paul, most likely. It would exempt Jesus. He was single. It would exempt Daniel. He was single. It would exempt Jeremiah, who was a prophet. He was single from being able to serve you know, the people of God. The gift is not the giver. And, and, and here's the other thing that Jesus is doing here. He, he's showing us that <clears throat> our identity is not found in who we're attracted to. Like, who you're attracted to is not going to complete you. Despite what Tobey Maguire says in well, that movie, right? Or, like, your, the, your spouse is not, your spouse is a helper, but your spouse isn't going to make, is not going to bring you the type of joy that only God could bring you. We were made to worship, not the person that we committed a lifetime to spend with. We were made to worship the God of all creation. Our identity becomes, you know, our identity is found in Him. You know, our culture, sexuality, I mean, I looked through the list, and it keeps growing. Like, first I thought it was LGBTQ, and now it's got other, like, letters assigned to it. And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not, like, making fun of that. I just, I was going to list all of them, and the list was just too long. And so, so why is that? Is why why is that? Because because our culture, our world is grasping at things that will satisfy their heart, not knowing and being blind to the reality that the only one that can satisfy their heart is the one that that, that created them in His image, the God of all creation. And uh, and that's an issue. And that's why the, God, the world needs to hear the greatest news in the universe, which is the gospel. You know, and, and so I have a whole bunch of references that you, you can look, look up. Um, I don't have time to get into everything. But, but Daniel uh, Durani, who's a theologian, said something I thought was really good. And, and the words will be on the screen. I, I, I think he just hits it right here in, in terms of just just a, how a perversion of, of sex outside of the context of marriage, what, what kind of damage that does to a person and what kind of damage that does to a person's soul. This is what he says. He says, By its very nature, physical love is a life-uniting act. God intended it to be a sign and a seal of the union of two lives. Casual sex is a misnomer. Sex is no mere bodily function. Our bodies are us. When two bodies are united, two persons are united. Nobody can go to bed with someone who, and, and leave his soul parked outside. The soul is in the act. Therefore, the trouble with extramarital sex is that it is a life-uniting act committed with, without life-uniting intent. It is not just adultery. It is a thieving lie. Intimacy is a sign and a seal of the union of two lives. But outside of marriage, the act and the intent clash. Intimacy of body and intimacy of soul go together. That is why adultery, as well as other sexual relations outside of marriage, is wrong. And that's why Jesus uses such strong language. And the Bible, in general, uses very strong language. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the unrighteous? Well, he goes on to explain. The Apostle Paul explains. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then when it comes to this God making all things new, like he's, he's doing that, he's going to do that, he's going he's to resurrect this earth, he's, he, he, when heaven and earth become one, all of that you can read about in the book of Revelation. But in Revelation 21, those who are outside of that blessing, uh, he, 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 we're told, again, the words will be on the screen, and he who was seated on the throne said, this is when redemption is all finished, he said, behold, I am making all things new, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, he lists sexual immoral people with sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. <clears throat> and Jesus says, look, if you've committed adultery, if you've lusted after another person, you're guilty of adultery. So what should you do? What should be the response? Well, he tells us, he says, get radical with your sin. Why? Because, because sin leads people to hell. He, he, he says... In verse 29, and this is brief, he says, if your right hand, or before that, he says, um, but I say to you that everyone who looks with a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to, that you lose uh, you know, one of your members than that of your whole body. And then he says the same thing about your right hand. Why, why does he say that? Why does he single out the right eye, and why does he single out you know, the, the right hand? Is, is Jesus saying, you know, emasculate yourself? Uh, is he saying, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye? Uh, the early church father, uh, Origen, said uh, he took this literally. You know what he did? He, he took all of his clothes off, and he rolled over back and forth on thorns thinking that that would resolve his heart problem, <laughs> his lust problem. And then he physically castrated himself. And then as he got older, he said, I think I made a mistake. I think I may have misinterpreted Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Like he literally said that. I'm like, too late, right? He, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the heart is an issue. So what, what flows out of the heart? With that fertile, fertile soil that can result in murder, that fertile soil that can result in adultery. What, what, what does that look like? Well, from the heart, it would find its way through your eyes. And then through your eyes, you'll find yourself taking with that which doesn't belong to you. That's what he's getting at. If you gouge out your eye, you still got a heart problem. If you cut off your hands, you still have a heart problem. Having 
being blind in one eye or both eyes or not having hands, that's not going to resolve your lust issue. The point is, the only, the only thing that will resolve your lust issue is Jesus. And that's the point that he's making. The Pharisees and the scribes, they talk a really good talk. But they miss the mark spiritually. They miss the mark in terms of practice. Why? Because they think by obeying some rules uh, that people can, when people see them from the outside, it looks like they've got it all nailed down. They think they're good before God, but, but, but God, God's not looking at all the actions. He's really looking at the heart. The actions are just symptomatic of the heart. And so what is he saying here? Get radical. Get radical with your sin. You know, this is not just a passage written to dudes. <laughs> it's written to women, too. Well, how do you get radical? What, is he, like, what does that look like? What does that, what does that mean? Whatever it is that, is that makes sin easier for you, whatever that sin is, get rid of it. That's the point. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. How can I look at a virgin? My wandering eyes should be wandering over my wife, <laughs> not over any other women. I heard a Christian say this, <clears throat> that guys can appreciate the beauty of women. I'm like, eh. Like, that will take you right down the, down the wrong path. <laughs> Like Job said, I'm not even going to look. Now, that's impossible. I mean, don't be weird about it. But, it just, but don't dwell on it. I just heard, I heard that. I'm like, that just gives you a license to just lust after another person. So whatever it is that makes it easier for you to sin, get rid of it. If it's your, if it's, if it's your smartphone... Get a flip phone. If it's whatever streaming service that you have that you're paying monthly, you know, monthly fee for, end a subscription. Or maybe get rid of your TV. Yeah, it's just in the, it doesn't have to be just in the area of lust. It could be if getting drunk is an issue, you shouldn't go anywhere where alcohol is being served. If it's gossip, remove yourself from the environment that, that makes it easier for you to gossip. That's what he means here. Why? Because sin leads, leads people to hell. And the warning is clear. I said it last week. Don't, don't sugarcoat what Jesus says here. Don't make him say something he's not saying. What is he saying? It is better to experience loss on this side of eternity than to experience hell on the other side of eternity. That's what he's warning us about here. Get radical about your sin. Here's, and I'm going to have some steps that I think could be helpful, but here's, um, here's what I'm discovering. I, I don't know about you, but for me, my time in the Sermon on the Mount has been really good for my heart. It's been really good for my soul. And I made, I made this comment to our, our life group. What I'm discovering is that the deeper my love goes for Jesus, 
the more resilient I am becoming towards fighting my own sin. Does that make sense? Like, think about that. It's not about, I need to do A, B, and C so Jesus smiles upon me. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, man, I love Jesus. And my heart is a mess. Like that hymn, one of my favorite hymns, there's a line in there that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's me. But the, the more I get to know him, listen, the more I feast off of him as I hunger and thirst for righteousness, the deeper my resolve or the stronger my resolve is to fight against my own sin. And I think the same would be true for you too. You, you cannot, or let me rephrase this, your resolve to, to, to fight against your sin will be lost if you're trying to do the Christian life on your own. That's why we're, we're encouraged in Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake the assembling with one another. Gather together and encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. All right? Um, and so there's... there's there's that. And like I said before, it's all about Jesus. And so I'm going to give you some, some points. And then what I'm going to do after, that, after I give you just six suggestions, then I'm going to invite you to come up and take communion and when you're ready. Because I know, there's, there's, right now, I mean, you're really quiet. <laughs> I, was, I was quiet as I was working through this sermon. Like, really, Lord? I'm going to preach on lust. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm still working on, right? Um, <laughs> if you all said amen, that would be weird. I was just thinking about that. I didn't say right so that you would agree with me. But, uh, uh, but I'm just, in my, with my own heart, I was thinking through, okay, what, what are some things that I, can, that I do in my own life that are helpful? And so I'm going to share those with you. And then, and then Jonathan's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in a song. But while we're singing that song, it will be your time to come up and take, take the communion cup. I'm not going to lead you through it. The, the, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ who was pierced for you. The, 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 the cup, the juice in the cup symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And when you're ready, you can open it, take the bread, and, ta- and, and drink the cup. Uh, uh, your time. So we're going to have that moment in a little bit. And so, like literally in a couple minutes. And so here, and here's my list, and they'll be on the screen. One, this is how I, I combat things with sin in my own heart. One, Realize the seriousness of sin and that it leads people to hell. Sin is serious. Address, two, address the real cause of your sin, which is your heart. The only remedy for your heart problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Three, this is especially true in the area of lust, and how you treat your spouse if you're married. See people as individuals created in the image of God with value and worth. They are not objects. The devil wants you to treat other people as objects. Every single person born into this world is born as an image bearer of the living God. See them that way. Any sin that involves another person such as lust must involve you making that person an object to be used instead of a person to be honored. Fourth, 
Understand that your real identity is found in the one whose image you reflect, namely God. Not in who you're attracted to. Not in your singleness or your heterosexuality-ness, if that's a word. Or if you struggle with same-sex attraction. It's not in that either. It is in the God who created you in his image. And if you are a Christian in this room, your identity is rooted in him. And as a follower of Jesus, as we're seeing, he will make demands upon your life. Understand your real identity is found in the one whose image you reflect. Five, recognize that it, it, that it is, recognize what it is that makes sinning easy for you and act decisively and immediately to remove it from your life. Uh, for, for those of you who struggle like, with pornography, there are, there are tools that have been released that you can use, like covenant eyes. There's, there's a whole bunch of them, but covenant eyes is the one that comes to mind. Here's a really good tool, ready? It costs nothing. Find somebody you trust who will ask you the hard questions and give that person permission to ask you the hard questions. That's free. And then covenant with that person, no matter what you ask me or no matter what you say to me, I am not ending this friendship. Uh, and <laughs> that person has every, every right or has the permission on a, on, on a dime's notice just to, to just ask to see your phone, your computer, or whatever. All right. Uh, six, treasure Jesus above all things, for he is the only one who can satisfy the hunger of your heart and your soul. And that only comes by walking with him, friends. So when you're ready, come forward, take the communion cup. There's a scripture reference that's on the screen. I just want you to see this. We're going to read this together. Here go, yeah. let's, let's read this together. Ready? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you to memorize that verse. When you're ready... Come forward, take the bread and the cup, and then you'll be dismissed when you're done. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.